0: When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today I'm going to talk about Mount Sinai and also about our church's uh, position on Roe versus Wade and the news that came out last night about that. Situated in the wilderness. Um, They don't know for how long. Um, But it looks like it's going to be a while. And here we have the account of the events of Mount Sinai. The location of Mount Sinai is somewhat debatable historically. Um, There is a mountain identified today as Mount Sinai where a Christian monastery has existed for really long time, probably all the way back to the age of the apostles or right after the apostles, so almost 2,000 years, we have this monastery there, marking that site as the likely place for Mount Sinai is. The um, translations of the New Testament that come from the 1970s, 80s, and up into the present day are largely reliant on a manuscript found at that monastery called Sinaiticus, which is named for Mount Sinai, the monastery there. It was a a manuscript of the New Testament, um, very early, earlier than all the other ones we have, Um, and that put that manuscript I think in the 300s AD, somewhere in the 300s, so little closer to the original apostolic writers than some of the other manuscripts we have from many years later, and so it was felt to be more authoritative. It has a short ending of the Gospel of Mark, um, and a couple passages in the Gospel of John are not in it famously, including the woman that is caught in adultery story um, in John's Gospel is not in Sinaiticus so when you get to those parts of your English Bible, unless you're reading the King James or something like that, um, you're going to be reading an account of the, and the contribution of the Sinaiticus manuscript. What does that have to do with all of this? Um, it has to do with Mount Sinai being a very clear place of God's presence. Um, in some ways, Holy Scripture is our Mount Sinai. It is the place that we learn, learn about God in a much deeper and sometimes even scarier way. When you contemplate who God is in the Bible, you get a very different notion of God than what we hear about in our current cultural climate in America of who God is and what God is all about. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, is not someone that you can put into a lot of categories easily. Um, The stories about God in Scripture are sometimes like this, where God's holiness and sacredness is set set in stark relief to the sort of approachable big giant muffin-in-the-sky God that we like to talk about today. God is the big marshmallow. God is the big muffin. That we can all take a bite from. Um, this is not to say that this is all God is. Is the God that is revealed at Mount Sinai. Um, just like it's not to say that that you on a Tuesday morning is all you are. Um, the way you're feeling today or acting today is not the sole compass of who you are either, um, or I am. But the God revealed here on Mount Sinai is. Is part of this God of the dense cloud. This dense cloud, this glory overshadows them. We see here an echo of the creation story, um, the formless and void, deep, and the spirit of God hovering over the place, the face of the waters. We see in the pillar of cloud, the same cloud that delivered God's people through the Red Sea, God appearing as a dense cloud. And so this. Festival or observance is marked out um, for the people of God, and Jewish peoples today still um, still celebrate this day and observe this day of God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai with all-night uh, classes. They have local synagogues here in this area. There'll be all-night classes um, that rabbis will teach and other people will teach, um, commemorating the all-nighter that Moses and God pulled when God gave the law to Moses. But this is a holy, sacred time. Anyone who touches the mountain will will die, shall um, be put to death. He'll shoot them with arrows or throw stones at them. The warnings are very clear. There are trumpet blasts to announce the danger of this mountain. And um, the smoke of a kiln is pouring off it. Um, people are terrified. This, um, of all of its majesty and glory, this event, is one where we see the way God wants to be our lawgiver. Um, This this is um, also related to the idea that God wanted all of God's people in the wilderness to be a kingdom of priests, to be a kingdom of people who observe these rituals and observe these practices. And this is uh, brought into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, probably um, more clearly than any other book, although the echoes are in all the books of the New Testament, that God is calling a kingdom of priests to serve him. And that in in this approaching the mystery of God that is holy, um, we find something about God and we find something about ourselves. We live in an era of time where um, we sort of, disabused ourselves of all the fear of God, um, partly because we don't want people to live in fear. We don't want people to be afraid of God in some way. And um, we don't want people to to feel guilty about things they really shouldn't be guilty of. I think that swing in our pop culture has led to the fact that we really don't worry about being afraid of God anymore. And our leaders don't either. The one group of people that I like to bring the fear of God to are people that prey on our elderly people in our community. Whenever I get a scam phone call um, trying to get me on some kind of Medicare fraud, sell me something that um, is probably just fraud um, for Medicare, um, I always tell them that they should be afraid of what God will do to them for this kind of behavior, this persistent theft. Um, from the most vulnerable people in our culture. Uh, this is uh, where people should be afraid of God. If you're spending your hours and days on the phone trying to steal money from elderly people, I think that is a person that should be afraid of what God might do um, to them, to stop them. The, the judgment of God is always uh, twofold. Here you can see it in this story. It is to keep people from worse things, usually, like going on the mountain with with harsh mornings. And the other judgment of God is to let people do things. Those two judgments of God are very clear in the Bible, that sometimes God stops us in judgment. Other times, the judgment of God is to let us go ahead with things and do things our way. Uh, And this is what God is trying to teach God's people, that this is part of what it means to have a relationship with God. That there are what we might call in a modern context boundaries to that relationship um, as there is in every relationship. And so Moses brings the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stand there at the foot of the mountain that's wrapped in smoke. And Moses goes up. And the Lord comes down from the mountain. And we're going to see this in the next couple days readings how this interacts. But again, this notion of who God is, the God of the Bible cannot be put in any categories, cannot be easily tamed, um, cannot be fully domesticated. Um, We are sometimes faced with the sheer mystery of God. For people that have gone through traumatic events and have seen their world turned upside down in little ways or big ways, this is the one God that can relate to them, the God that um, is mysterious doesn't always have easy answers to our troubles and problems. A God who isn't just a how-to book for how to live life or something like that, but a God that we can gaze at, learn from, stare into, and ultimately see revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to abolish the law that was given to the God, God's people on Mount Sinai. Jesus did not come to get a, to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. That is a very different thing from doing away with it or saying it doesn't matter. It's a very different thing from saying that, oh, that was a terrible Old Testament God that you all worship, and now I'm here, the new and improved version. That is not at all what's happening in the story of the Bible, even though people, Christians will say that often, that there's a mean God in the Old Testament, and there's a nice God in the New Testament. The truth is, there is always the same God in both Testaments that same God is nuanced and and has a personality and has feelings and has thoughts and also has this other thing called the progress of revelation, that that God throughout all of human history has whispered to us, first in baby talk and then in covenants and then through his own son being given to us for our salvation. And now through the Holy Spirit, God speaks to, to God's people very profound way. So it's the same God talking this whole time. It is our understanding of that God as God unfolds more revelation that we fully appreciate and know. So I want to just um, disabuse people of that very anti-Semitic notion that there's a mean God in the Old Testament and a nice God in the New Testament. The truth is that we as Christians follow Jesus who fulfilled this very law who took this law from Sinai very seriously, who ascended onto that mountain, and on the Sermon on the Mount gave his law, which took all of these commandments given on Sinai, reinterpreting them, fulfilling them for us, his followers. When he said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, when you hate your brother, you have murdered him, Jesus was here to take the law, not to do away with it, not to make it easier, or to make it less biting and potent, but to get to the heart of the matter. The heart of God has always been for people to live in harmony with God and with one another, to live in peace, to do no harm to each other, to be kind, to be patient, to be gentle, ultimately to love. That is what God has called us to do, not only here on Sinai, Last night, about the um, overturning of Roe versus Wade, a, a Supreme Court decision that was rooted here in Texas. Um, the position of the Episcopal Church we, we're a church that includes both people that um, believe that abortion is a sin and people that um, believe that abortion is a form of health care for women and that private act between her and her doctor um, should be preserved. Um, so, we are a church that has has held, both of those and all of the views in between. Um, but our church has, since the 1970s, consistently uh, maintained the same position on abortion since the over- since the appropriate wave was, was given. And that is that abortion should not be criminalized, that, um, that women should be able to make that decision, which um, is a decision that the decision that they should be making, Um, they should make that decision without the fear of criminal penalties um, and coercion from the state on on what happens inside their bodies, inside their wounds. And that's been the consistent position of the Episcopal Church. Um, Although we've had not not full agreement on all those things, that is what our general convention um, has issued. And that's where we stand today. Here in St. Joan of Arc, in that position, that abortion should not be criminalized. Um, and realizing that is a not just an emotional issue, but a very personal issue for, for people. And we pray now today for uh, the leaders of our nation um, as they seek to maintain order and peace um, and also uphold the rights of privacy that um, are rooted in. a great uncertainty and people in our land. Let's continue to pray with the Song of Moses on page 85. We remember that the God who issued the laws to Mount Sinai and said, Don't touch the mountain or you'll die also just save these people through the Red Sea. Remember all of God's saving acts um, in our relationship with God. Page 85, I will sing to the Lord for He is lofty and uplifted, a horse and its rider as He hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my refuge. The Lord has become my savior. This is my God and I will praise Him. The God of my people and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a mighty warrior. awesome and renowned the worker of wonders. You stretch forth your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. With your constant love, you led the people you redeemed. With your might, you brought them in safety to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mount of your possession, the resting place you have made for yourself, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hand has established. The Lord shall reign forever and forever. Glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, will be forever. Amen. Page 96. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge, come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.